You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. And today on the show, I am joined by one of the most renowned comedians on planet Earth. It is Scott Thompson, better known as Carrot Top. Scott has been making people laugh now for more than three decades. He's been in the comedy circuit for more years than I've been on this planet. He sought to success and became one of the most recognizable entertainers in the world after his debut on Star Search. And since 2005, uh, fans have been flocking to Las Vegas where he has a headlining residency at the Luxor Hotel uh, to see him perform his unique style of prop comedy. He is known as the king of prop comedy and I know nobody owns a genre, but if anyone did, it would be Carrot Top and prop comedy. So all that is coming up on the show today. I had a really fun and enjoyable chat with Carrot Top himself. A little bit of housekeeping before we get into the episode. Just a couple of free quick ways that you can help support the show. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, if you dropped a five-star rating, that would be a massive, massive help to us. It helps us reach out to guests and acquire bigger and more interesting names for you guys to listen to on this show. If you've done that, head over to YouTube where all our podcasts, including this one, are available in video format. We also upload highlights, best bits, and a lot more content over on YouTube. So search us on YouTube at Freedom Pact or just go to youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact. You'll find us there. Hit subscribe to the channel and drop us a comment on uh, whatever video you check out. It really helps us out if you comment on the video. So we're more than happy to engage with you guys, have a chat, let us know some feedback. Or if you want to be really kind, just comment absolutely anything on the video. It doesn't really matter what you say. It just helps us out a lot. Um, so hopefully we'll see you over on YouTube as well. So that's the housekeeping done. Let's dive right into the podcast with Scott Thompson, a.k.a. Carrot Top. Okay, so my guest today on the Freedom Pack podcast, I'm joined by Scott Thompson, a.k.a. Carrot Top, stand-up comedian, actor. Scott, welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast. It's a pleasure, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. So I just want to start right at the top. Do you think that making people laugh was Scott Thompson's calling in life? Oh, absolutely. I was a little kid and I was the, I was, I guess you say the class clown, but I was always the one that was, <laughs> my father was very good at joke telling and he would have like after work, they would all be in the driveway and my dad would come up from work and have all these old jokes, you know, and I would sit there and listen to him and I'd go back to school and, uh, and, and tell the class and tell my students and all I had, you know, my friends. 
uh, every day. In fact, I would, they would always kind of be, look, what's the joke of the day? What's the new joke? So I definitely, uh, at, at a young age, wanted to be, uh, you know, funny. And I wanted, you know, that was my way of, you know, joining into the, uh, the groups of kids because I had, I had jokes. <laughs> so what is it about laughter that you think is so important? Why is laughter so important for every single person who lives on this planet? Well, it releases something. I know that. I mean, you know, I can see the crowd when they leave at night at the end of the show where they're just, they're, they're so, I wouldn't say they were spent, but they're so, uh, you know, they always say, my cheeks hurt or my stomach hurts. But I'm laughing. Um, but everybody is laughing. Everybody's forgetting about the world, about the problems they might have or what's going on in, in uh, you know, with all these vaccine stuff and all the, the economy and, and politics. And so for that hour or so, they're just, they're just laughing and, and forgetting about all the problems that they might even have individually. They, you know, I get a lot of fan letters from people all the time that, that said, uh, you know, my dad, my dad was dying and he was last wish was to go to Vegas and see your show. So a lot of times you don't even know that that's happening out in the audience. You know, there's someone that really needs laughter. Um, so uh, it's very important. And I'm lucky that I get, uh, I get to laugh with them. So, you know, it keeps you young. So I get to laugh every, every, every day. Um, like they do. So what does it do for you on a personal level right. when I you lost. tell a joke and you see somebody laugh? What, what, it sounds like such a simple thing, but what does that do for you on a personal level? Well, it is kind of a simple answer. I mean, it just makes you feel good. You know, seeing people smile and people just, it's, you know, losing them, you know, then just laugh and say, God, it's funny. And you know, it just makes everybody feel good. You know, it's a, there's nothing like laughter. I mean, getting someone to smile um, <clears throat> or laugh is, uh, I think, the, the, the key to life. I mean, if you think about it, anywhere you go, if you go out to a restaurant today, you look around people's tables most of the tables, they're, they're, they're either laughing or they're doing, you know, unless they're on a date and they're having a miserable time. Um, yeah, they're laughing and, uh, and carrying on. And I think that's what everybody wants, you know, because in their job, at their job, they may not get a chance to have that, that, that you know, that laughter. But they get off work and they go meet their friends and they have a couple of drinks and they get to laugh and tell stories about maybe what have happened to them at work or whatever. But, yeah, laughter is the most really honest. Honestly, I think it really keeps you uh there's two things I keep. I think that that's essential just for a human. I think laughter and I think music. I think, you know, uh, people say reading books, that's good too. It's educational. But when you have, you don't, you don't get up from a book and be like, wow, I moved. You're in a concert and you're, you're like in the moment you're dancing and you're singing and you're, you're letting loose. And it's, there's nothing like that. Live entertainment. It's interesting. You bring up music. So my favorite band of all time is queen. I'm a massive fan. I, I recently, two months ago, I saw Roger Taylor live on his um, on his solo tour in the UK. Now I know you have a bit of a personal relationship with Roger Taylor, so just as a super fan of Roger Taylor, what was it like meeting him? Oh, you know what? It's just it's surreal. I mean, this to this day, and I've been ever since this happened, and people have asked me who's the who's the biggest star, who's the one that really blew you away. It's always that's the one, Roger Taylor. You know, he comes to the show and it's Queen. I mean, it's like Queen. And he comes back and he came and saw the show and he came backstage and he couldn't have been nicer. And he kept going on and on. Scott, show's so good. It's so bloody good. And so uh, we became, you know, fast friends. And then I went to London and he invited me over to uh, to lunch at his, his beautiful estate. And we had, uh, 
And then we went out to dinner downtown and he brought me a gold record from, uh, from his wall for my birthday. I was visiting uh, and he gave me a gold record of killer, killer Queens, um, gold embossed framed. I mean, it was just, it's still hanging on my wall. It's just spectacular. Great guy. On top of that, you know, I mean, not, I think if he was, if he was a jackass, it wouldn't have been cool. But the fact he was so cool about it, that made him just go even higher. Like, wow, he could have been a dick, but he was beautiful. Yeah, it's always a strange one when you meet your heroes. It's like they say never meet your heroes, but I guess in that case, it kind of worked out. It's always scary when you meet someone you look up yeah, to. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky. And yeah, am I right in thinking true. Brian May, has Brian May ever attended one of your shows? Yes, Brian May has come to a couple shows. In fact, interesting with Brian, Brian came to the show one night with Roger. And then he asked me on the way out of the dressing room, he said, hey, is it okay if I bring my brother tomorrow again? Would that be weird? And I said, no, I, it would be an honor, my God. So he came back two nights in a row, actually, Brian. And it was interesting because he, he, he you know, when it's when it started, first said it, it kind of felt like it was going to be an insult. But um because he loved the show so much. He said, you know, I wanted him to come back a second time and see if it was bullshit, you know, because it was so good. I want to make sure you could do that, that kind of show twice that good. And I said, Oh, good. Thank God I did. So he said, no, it was unreal. And he said, I love the way you changed it too. Like I had, he was so smart. He was following the show and knew like one or two jokes that I maybe hadn't done the night uh, that I'd done the night prior. And he, he, he recognized it and said, Hey, you didn't do that Trump joke. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, you're right. I didn't. So he was watching. <laughs> so you've been in comedy longer than I've been alive. So let's throw it yeah, right the way. Thank you, Louis. <laughs> no, I'm just acknowledging that you're a veteran of the game, man. Um, so if you throw it back to the start, when did you, can you remember a moment or a time when you first fell in love with comedy? Well, I was definitely a young kid. I remember I used to watch the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and I would sneak out and watch, you know, Don Rickles and George Carlin and all those guys on the uh, Steve Martin uh, on the Tonight Show. And I remember one time mom coming out and catching me and saying, what are you doing? And I was, I'm watching the Tonight Show. She said, you're too young to watch the Tonight Show. And I don't think you're, this stuff's appropriate for you at this age. And I said, no, they're fine. You know, you can't curse on the Tonight Show. So my mom one night said, you know, what? okay, I'm going to let you watch the show. And, and she let me watch the comedy section part. And then I went to bed and uh, then that kind of came my thing. I would, I would always ask her, can I, can I, you know, she said only on Friday. Cause it's, you know, you have school Saturdays, you know, so Friday night I could watch if they had a comic on. Um, I could watch um, the the Tonight Show, and I used to. That's when I said, "I want to do that." Wow! And so it, that's how young it started. And then, of course, when I went into uh, into college, is when I when I dove in. I they had an open mic uh, at the college, and my buddy says, "You sh you should do that." And I thought, "I don't have an act." He said, "No, come on, you can you just go up there and make up some." So I I came up with like you know old like the old days in the driveway with my father. I just came up with old jokes crowd loved it and i got done and the guy that did the show said man that was great you want to do that again and next semester we're doing another one love to have you i said yeah all right and so i did a couple of those in a row and then there was a club a comedy club in town in west palm beach florida that had an actual club like an actual comedy club with you know jeff foxworthy the, the real comics and uh you know i had never done anything outside the college little stage you know 
So I went down there and kind of auditioned for it. And the lady loved me. And she said, yeah, come, come back and do a set here. And so I slowly started putting together an act. And then it was like a local contest that I won. And then it started to uh, take off a little bit. But there was a break after that where I kind of got out of comedy because I couldn't figure out how to get enough gigs to support my, my, myself. So it was an interesting little part of getting into it, doing pretty well, then having to dive back out of it. And then a friend of mine says, what do you mean you're shucking oysters? What the, your carrot top. And I said, yeah, yes. So um, then, I, then I went right back in and then I've, I've never stopped since. I was back in like 80 something. So were your family and close friends quite supportive? Because I read that your dad worked for NASA. It's quite a serious <laughs> job. How did you end up becoming a comic? Yeah, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun it's a fun story. I mean, I remember my dad was not too keen on me going to be a you know a stand up comic. In fact, he didn't he didn't want me to leave town and go to college. He said just stay in town and work and work at NASA. And I said, I'm Dad, I'm dumb. I can't work at NASA. You have to be smart to work at NASA. And so I said, I and plus I want to I want to be in a, I want to learn life. I want to get out and I, I'm not going to grow living in the same town that I was born in. I want I want to see what it's like to be in live on my own, have college and have friends and, you know, start some kind of career, not even knowing what I was going to do. It wasn't comedy. So I went to college to get a degree in marketing. So I was working on my marketing degree and then I just was playing with the comedy. And then when I came back uh, one holiday or whatever, I, I my dad said, uh, how are you paying for your truck? And I said, well, you know, I got the three jobs. I, I was doing like three jobs and um, and school. And then I said, I got you know, a little extra money on the side doing stand-up comedy thing. And he was like, stand-up comedy? What are you talking about? I said, I, I, I make like, you know, 50 bucks a week telling jokes or whatever. He's like, what? And I said, it, it, it didn't, it made no sense to me. And then when it really started to, you know, I quit all my other jobs and I was just doing comedy. Uh, he didn't understand it at all. So I said, dad, check it out. I want you meet, I'm doing a show in Jacksonville. It's like an hour and a half away. Why don't you come up at a college, come up and watch me do my act. And that's what he did. And I remember after the show, he, he just had this, his mouth is wide open. He was like, who are you? Like, I, I, I didn't even know you existed. Like what, what, when did you, how did you? And so he was a, a instant fan and he, he, he was just blown away. I mean, he's like, I had no idea you had that in you. You didn't know you were funny. <laughs> so, you know. so, You've been Carrot Top, the comedian, for so much of your life now. Yeah. Do you find it hard to tread that line between Carrot Top and Scott Thompson? Does that line get a bit blurred sometimes, or is that something you've learned to navigate quite well? I mean, it's pretty. I mean, I think I'm pretty much Carrot Top as far as people are concerned. Um, it's nice when people call me Scott, you know, um, but off stage um you know, it's funny people say oh, this are, your, are the two things like on stage there's definitely there's more manic and more energy and more whatever but off i am the same guy i don't have to go into this like i'm going to be carrot top now. um i just kind of get into a little energy um like any show you know if you watch freddie mercury off off camera you know he, and then you see him on stage it's like wow what a what a right he was just sitting there talking smoking a cigarette and just you know, monotone. And then also the lights come on. He's, he's, you know, Freddie Mercury. So it's probably a little bit of that with every entertainer, you know, you the stage, your stage energy levels different than your, uh, your off stage. 
but it does get blurred. I mean, I, I, you know, I always forget, I, I, I you know, I, I, I like today I'll leave and I'll go get lunch and I walk and I go, oh, shit, forgot it was carrot top. Like, oh, good. like you kind of, you kind of forget. So when you first started out in the comedy circuit, like I've heard is quite brutal when you start out as a comedian, how did you sort of build up that confidence to throw yourself into the game? Because even with something like podcasting, I remember when I started podcasting three, four years ago, I was terrified to put myself on camera. I can't imagine what it's like to stand up in front of a crowd of people and do something you've never done before. Yeah, and I mean, that's it's definitely you're either you're either got it or don't. I mean, that's one thing you learn, I think, right on. And, you know, so this friends of mine want to be a comedian and, and you know, you, you know, he instantly whether you're going to be, you know, if you have the timing, if you have comedy in your brain and you can eat, you know, delivery and also standing in front of an audience. So that part of it didn't really make me nervous as much as just, you know, he wanted to do well naturally, you know, you wanted to go up there and, and, and kill and, and be good. And you want your peers to say, Oh, you're, you know, you're one of us, you're a good comic. So that's the yeah the most terrifying part was not really going up. I wasn't scared to be in front of a class or a crowd as much as I was terrified about doing my act. I was like, oh no, here we go. I'm going to do this joke. Um, but it, it, you know, I definitely had shows where were shit, you know. And then we, you know, you have to have some of those to have the good ones. Um, there's no such thing as a comic saying he's never bombed. It's just no, there's no, that's not true. Hmm. The- but there are such things as good crowds and bad crowds. People always say that too. Um, they'll say, "Was you, did you blame it on the audience?" And I said, "Well, I've done this long enough. There are such things as crowds that just are a good crowd, you know." And I'll tell them we should probably never meet like this again, you know, as a group. Let's never do this because it just it could be a mood. It could be just the number, you know, the 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 sense of the room could be the people are, you know, it just it, we see it not all the time. Thank God. But there's nights you go, wow, that was that was a weird crowd, you know, because you do the same, you know, you do your same shtick and your energy and you get up there and you're like, wow, one night it lays flat and the other night it kills. So. Mm. You mentioned bombing there, um, something every comedian probably faces at some point. Sounds like a nightmare to, to, to some, like myself. I can't imagine. What is that feeling like when you're out there and just nothing's landing? And how then do you not let that derail you from your end goal? Well, that's a good one. That, that's, that would come from uh, longevity and doing it uh, so long where you've kind of figured out a way to get through the bad. Like when I, you know, most of the ones that I had that were, were, were you know, touchy were when I was a lot younger and I don't think I did know what to do to get myself calmed down and get in track so I can finish. Now, if I have one, I know exactly how to get mentally in my game. And you just, there's a way you just, you just, in a sense, entertain yourself and know that it's good and know that it, it did good last night and it will do good tomorrow night. It just might be an odd night. And you just kind of, it's almost like I was, I was using the analogy of kind of like, um, uh, any kind of sporting that could be football or it could be uh, a, 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 like a formula one race. Okay. So the guy's down three laps, right? Middle of the race, he's down three laps. He's just, he's done, but he stays in it, man. Right. He stays in it, keeps hitting his pit stops, keeps catching the other guys. And at the end of the race, he comes sometimes in first, sometimes a second place, but that's because he kept going and didn't give up. Um, and that's what's easy to do with anything. I mean, if something goes bad, you just want to, you know, fuck it, just give up. But now as you get older, you kind of figure out a way to, to save it. I, I always say that I would say I have things like a, it took a, I took a, you know, a, a two to an eight. And it was, you know, it was a two crowd to an eight crowd. You never want to have an eight to a two. 
Mm. You know, you always want to go up. But um, yeah, there's ways mentally now that can that can keep yourself and even thinking of that, you know, say, hey, you know what, you're the you're the the Rams. You're down three touchdowns, you know. But and I bet at the end of this at the end of this show, I'm gonna be up. They're all gonna be standing up. It's gonna be great. So where I'm from in the UK, we don't get a lot of American stand-up comedy. Um, so I was I first became a fan of yours um, when I was younger and I was watching an episode of Family Guy um, yeah. where you appeared in the show. And I, I didn't understand the reference at the time because, right. uh, you know, we don't get a lot of American comics, but that's what, right. you know, led me to look you up. I remember seeing you on Scrubs as well at one point. Yeah. Um, and that's how I became familiar with your work. But with that Family Guy sketch, um, it's just quite an iconic scene. How do you reflect on that now? Because when someone like Family Guy approaches you, yeah. are you thinking in your head, okay, is this sort of, is this a joke aimed at me? Is this a joke I'm involved in? How did you first take that when you were approached by, I'm assuming, Seth MacFarlane? Um, I thought, yeah, I thought, well, it was an honor to be on the show. So I thought that's cool. Um, and I knew they were poking fun at me. So I knew I was kind of in on the joke, the fact they're making fun of me and being a, you know, uh, you know, especially the prop is a seesaw. And I, I remember I was on the phone with Seth and all the writers. And I said, can we come up with another prop, another joke? I don't think that one's funny. And they're all like, what do you mean? This is brilliant. And I said, well, it's kind of stupid, right? A seesaw. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, maybe something for my act. So I gave him a couple examples. And he said, well, to be honest with you, it wouldn't really work if it was one of yours. Because it's supposed to be, oh my, yes, we're we're totally fucking with you, right? So I said, okay, we got to make fun. It's got to be something so stupid, and we and the guy, because then after I do it, he goes, "You're so goddamn funny, character." So it's it was kind of making fun of my act and thinking, you know. But then I I I, I sat there and I thought back and I said, you know what, do it. I mean, it's not whatever it's the end of the world um but then they said you know if you don't want to do it we'll just we'll get somebody else to do it we don't you know we don't need you and i said no 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 if you're going to do a care top reference i want to be care top. i want to be the guy so i just dove in and did it and you know it's funny to this day even like right now you brought up i get people all the time that just walk up and go seesaw it's like craziest thing so. <laughs> yeah because i remember when I, I mean i saw that and i thought oh, i want you know i want to see this guy see what's right but i quickly learned that even though, yeah, it's prop comedy, it's, it's not that, like, that wasn't quite reflective of your actual work, I remember right. thinking. Yeah. But still, very funny bit, very iconic oh, yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you meant, I remember listening to you a couple of, maybe two months ago on the Joe Rogan experience, and you talked about a time in your life where you took a lot of criticism, you took a lot of flack. Yeah. What was that like, at the time and what sort of place did that take did that ever demotivate you did that ever derail you was that something you struggled with at all or were you always quite a perseverer um i think a little bit of both i mean i definitely it it, it always it always bummed me out because if they you know for some strength make fun of me and i was doing i was doing really well so i thought you know everyone would say they're jealous you know they're just making fun of me because you're you know you're carrot top and you just some people thought you know you just came out of the out of the, out of the, into the scene without, you know, I'm like, now there was a lot of years working in clubs and doing things, but uh, it wasn't overnight, but I did, I was a quicker success than, than a lot of comics. And to this day, I've had a lot more success than a lot of my friends who are funnier than me. I mean, it's just one of those things you get, you get lucky at the right place at the right time. I had the right kind of act with the visual stuff. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think they gave me a hard time because I did all these props, but 
uh, it was always, it wasn't, it's kind of hard even talking about because I think it's gone away to a bit to me, like even doing the Joe Rogan thing, it was like a legitimate kind of people, you know, come to me every day and say, wow, that was great. And you didn't do a prop for three and a half hours. You just talked. So that was another reason why I was, I was excited to do because I wanted to show people that I can, you know, be funny without having to hold up a, you know, a thing and a thing, you know, I can talk and tell stories. But it did, it did, it, sometimes it motivated, motivated me to answer your question. Like they make fun of me and then I would say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work even harder now. I'm going to, you know, um, you know, I, I was, I was success. I was doing movies. I was doing all these things. I was doing concert halls. I was doing everything. And I get on a tour bus at night and they'd, they'd be in the reference on TV and they'd say a carrot top, whatever. So uh, sometimes it just made me laugh because I was like, okay, I just, we just had a great show and they're just pissed. They didn't. So. Um, but I definitely, you definitely got to pierce spirit through all that. But at the end of the day, you do want your peers to, to enjoy you from, from day one, when you got in, when I got into this, that's what I told you a while ago when I first got there. And with this small group of local comics every night, you know, I wanted to be part of the team. I wanted them to like me and one of them didn't, you know, and I think most of those local guys did, you know, they didn't care. I did the props because I wasn't doing their act. You know, I was doing, everyone had their own act in a sense. I remember really liking something you said. I think you said um, consider the source or something along those lines. Yes. Is it more important to you where the opinion comes from rather than what the opinion is? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes from some guy sitting in his basement in Wisconsin who's not a comic or comes from Bill Maher. I, you know, I'm going to take the Bill Maher one over the, the guy that I've not met, probably has never done five minutes on stage. So, uh and, you know, nowadays it could be that it could be some guy just sitting in his basement pissed off, you know, you got nothing to do except I hate carrot top and, uh, you know, come to an hour and a half a night and then you can, you can, you can give me some <laughs> rip on me kind of thing. But yeah, it's always, it's always been the source. I mean, I'm not going to sit here in line and say even the, 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 the guy that I don't know doesn't, doesn't, doesn't strike a nerve, but it's not as it doesn't hit as deep. I just kind of go, oh, okay, you're not going to please everybody. So was it prop comedy right from the off or was that something you developed kind of, into? Yeah, kind of sort of from the off, but not the off, not the very beginning. It was like I did you know, a couple of shows, uh, a couple, maybe a couple at the college things. And then when I went to the cl comedy club in West Palm, the woman said to me, you know, your, your jokes are very uh, uh, school, generic related to school, because that's where I was doing my comedy at the college. You know, I talk about parking and books and teachers. And she's like, uh, you know, that's not really going to work in the comedy because it's got to be a more generalized kind of material. And I said, OK, I get it, you know, from all ages, you know, 18 to 80. So I started coming up more general stuff. And that's when the props came into play. I, I, I had a neighborhood crime watch sign on my dorm. And I, that was my first joke. I walked on stage and said, sorry, I'm late. It was in the neighborhood. And it killed. And I said, how good is their crime watch if they're not even watching their signs? And uh and that was, I was off to a big bang. And the lady said, I love that. Do you have more signs? And I said, I've got, I can go, I can go steal more. So I went around town and stole all these funny looking signs. And it became a whole, that was my whole, my whole bit was me holding and, and talking about the next sign. And that, uh, that kind of started the process. And then the lady said, I, I think you should, more visual stuff is really good. I really like the way you're doing it. So I started thinking visually of, uh, of things that would be, funny that but but not in a pun way that's like the seesaw i didn't want to do like puns like hey it's a you know 
a butterfly and it's a butter with wings on it, you know, sacred butter. So I wanted to be more inventive, you know, so it would be like I, the first one I think I made was a, an old lady's hat head on a, on a hat with a spring so that you'd see the, you'd see her head when she was driving down the road. Cause all the old people and where I lived was, that was all old people down there. So that would be my big bang. I mean, they'd be like, damn, that's funny. And you turn around Come on, damn, let's go. and so then I start building all these different kinds of props, you know, a cowboy boot, the kickstand. So rednecks don't fall down when they're drunk. I mean, it was just, they were just common and gum. And I'm still, I'm still doing it now. I'm making, I'm making a, I'm in the process of making an espresso. It's going to be like a little espresso. You know, when you're drinking espresso, it's kind of hard to, you know, because you look, you feel so feminine, like, hi, hi, and you, gee. So I'm going to make a, a little espresso, espresso cup, but I'm going to, I'm going to have a handle, like a beer handle <laughs> that attaches to it. So, and it's going to float out here. So I've got, you know, rednecks and straight guys can drink, you know, without <laughs> going on. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. It's a kind of inventive in a sense. <laughs> Yeah. So everyone knows you now as you know the this iconic um you know prop king, but there's that saying that it takes, I don't know, 10 years to become an overnight success. What were the what was the early grind of stand-up comedy like for you before you started seeing the big results? Well, there was a lot of years of that, you know, going uh, I was telling people, you know, there was one time I was in in a in a loft. I got to the, it was a bar and I got there and it was like, you know, we're having comedy night. So I get there and I'm like, where's the stage? And the guy's like, up, right up there. And I said, where? And he's right there. I said, in the loft. It was like, there wasn't, there wasn't room to, to stand. I just, I just sit. And I, and my friend would throw up props and I'd do them and I'd throw it back down. And he'd throw the next one up. It was the weirdest show I think I ever did in my life, but from a loft. And if you know, we were drinking and going, what the, and I am watching. It's horrible. We did one in a strip club in Atlanta. I showed up and I thought maybe the night was, you know, they, they don't, they didn't have strippers. They were going to have comedy. So I get there and I'm setting up my stuff. And he says, I said, what time does the show start? He says, well, between the, you know, the third, third girl, you're going to come up and do, and then, and then the next three girls come up and then you're going to do one set and then we're done. I said, oh, there's strippers too? And he said, well, it's a strip club. I said, oh, I thought you just closed it down just for comedy. He said, no, it's going to be girls and, and you. And uh, I said, okay, this is going to, how many times have you done this? And the guy's like, we did, we did it well once, uh, like a week, a month ago. I said, how'd it go? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's all right. I'm like, oh, great. So I'm literally the fucking guinea pig for this thing. So sure enough, the third girls, I'm, I'm, this is, this is, I'm losing. Now I am nervous. So the girl's up there doing her thing and then they, they go, please welcome uh, the comedy of Carrot Top. And I come walking out in my little box of trunk and they're like, boo. I mean, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. They were doing so they, they wouldn't even listen, but I was smart. So when I, after I set all my stuff up that afternoon, I went to one of these like little porn stores and I bought like dildos and uh, I bought like this, this fake set of boobs. And so you know, they're all like, boo. No, I said, I know. Look, but look, hey, I got tits too. And I, I held up, you know, tits. And, and then they, then they loved me. Cause I was like, I, they knew that I was struggling and I had, you know, I didn't want to be up there either. I just, I want to, I don't want to do this. I want to see girls do it, but I got to do this. So I did the tits and they loved it. And I do another prop and they did boo. And I put the tits back out. And so I won them over in a sense, but the, those days when you think back on it, I mean, that's really, uh, you know, it's just, you, it's weird that I survived it, you know, and kept wanting to do comedy. There was one college I showed up where they had a breezeway. It was in a fucking breezeway, right? 
like six feet wide, you know, just sidewalk. And I go and the guy's like, I said, where, where am I performing at? He said, right here. They're bringing a stage. And I said, in the breezeway? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait, so the kids are coming. The kid, well, the kids are coming, you know, this way, this way. And you're going to stand there and, 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 and tell jokes. And then I said, um, no, I'm not. And he says, yeah, that's where it is. It's the gig. And I said, well, I'm not doing The only time I did not do a show, I walked away was that, that guy. And he was so pissed. He's like, I'm calling the, you know, your agency. I said, well, you called my agency. You want to, you want to stand in a fucking milk crate in a hall in a breezeway? So I didn't do that gig. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I've, uh, I've got two, two questions left before I let you get out of here. The first one, look, we mentioned, you know, you're the king of prop comedy almost. I mean, no yeah. one own, no one owns any genre, but if someone does, it's you and prop. Like, no one can do prop comedy without, you know, acknowledging Carrot Top. Is legacy something that matters to you? Well, I don't think about it now. I think about when, I, when, I'm, when I'm done. And I said, that's kind of cool. I had a, I had a chapter on, uh, in pop culture that was something that was... Uh, um, people remember probably um yeah i mean it's kind of cool well, it was, i think it's cooler now because i remember when i when i came up with the idea of doing it that the fact that um that it did become what it did like it's weird i'm in my dorm room and i'm thinking i'm gonna go up and tell jokes and i'm gonna and uh, i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be a comedian and then you know this years later you're you're part of a legacy you're part of a, a thing and so it's kind of cool in that regard i never have time just to 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 soak it in, but when people say, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're legendary, you're a legend, you're whatever, you're, you know, care top, you know, your things. It's kind of cool, you know, um, and I, I just love the fact that I could still do it. You know, I, I never would have thought that I would have done it even for a year. I didn't think I could do it 37 years now. Um, and that the process becomes still more, so crazy, like that little cup one I just thought of this morning or yesterday. Um, you know, keep writing new stuff and coming up with with creative material um, is the fun part too. Cause I think that's what makes it, that's why I'm still around. I think I keep doing new, you know, Adele just got in trouble for canceling. So we had so much fun with Adele. It's killing in the show. I did this whole video where it's just like, I'm not Ray. I'm just not Ray. I'm like, well, who the fuck's ever, I'm not ready. I've been doing this 36 years. I've never been ready, you know? So get out there. and. But um, it's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, you know, writing all these, this stuff all the years and looking back and uh, yeah. And going, I don't think I have a, a plan on, on, you know, retiring because uh, I don't know what the hell else I know. I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> Literally. The, the last question I ask every guest I speak to, this could be anything. It could be family. It can be your friends. It could be your work. It can be comedy for carrot top. What makes life worth living? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a, have to have a question what does it make life well i mean everything from just i mean mine's a little maybe different facets because i have this this unique job so you know i love every day going to to do a show i mean people always like you need six nights a week oh man that's that sucks i'm like no it's fun i mean that's my that's my vent that's my ghetto that's my you know that's my whole me you know i can't wait to go and try something new or try to do better. Um, but I also love what makes me go is of course, you know, family and friends and people that, you know, my, I'm lucky, I'm lucky. I have my, uh, my, my brother and his kids and my mom, they all live in Vegas, believe it or not. Um, so I'm lucky that I get a chance to see them. I have a little goddaughter that's two. 
uh, and it's just, you know, that's weird because I, I never had kids, but I kind of lived through this kid and it's like just watching her, you know, grow up is, is pretty cool because you see like how they become human. They start telling, you know, sentences and she's like, Uncle Scotty. And you're like, what? It's so weird. I remember you just, you know, just shit on me. Now she's talking to me. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of things to, to live for in life. I mean, I'm lucky to have my health. That's I have my health. That's good. Um, but I live for, yeah, I live for every day. I mean, I, 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 I live, uh, that's one, one thing I do. I never, I never really think, I mean, it's fun to think back in the future and like talking with you about things. Cause you're like, wow, that seems like a lot of years ago, but I always look for the next day too. I always look like, you know, what's going to happen today. What's going to happen tomorrow. And, uh, so I don't really reflect on that. You know, people say, wait, do you want to be 20 again? I said, no, not really. I mean, maybe, maybe when I was in the sack, I wouldn't mind being 20, but uh, I like where I'm at mentally and uh, physically. And I like, uh, I like uh, that. I've already, I feel like if I had to do this again and go back through all this again, it, it scared the shit out of me. I don't know how, I don't even know if I would, 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 would do it. You know, people say, well, you wouldn't do it again. I'm like, I don't know. I, I might just be, if I know was how hard it was or how hard I, or how hard it is now with the technology and the, how many people in the, this, I don't think we even have, you know, like stand-up comics. I don't think we even have that kind of thing anymore. There's not that many clubs that have stand-up comedy shows anymore. They don't, the television doesn't really put on a lot of comics anymore. So it's probably the internet, you know, through uh, TikTok and, and that kind of stuff. But with the problem with that is they don't, they never get the stage thing you know do walk into the camera every day you got you got to get for a stand-up comic you gotta you gotta smell beer and hear booing and hear bottles clinking and you know there's all these things that come into a lot of people heckling you and shit you know you don't get heckled when you're on your you know so it's important for a stand-up comic i think to experience the the live audience i love it man i love it so look thank you so much for for speaking with me today it's been a, an absolute honor you've given me more laughs than most people I've, you know, I've ever encountered on the planet. A lot of my laughs can be attributed right. to Carrot Top. So thank you Thanks so much for that. I really hope one day you, uh, I'm not sure if you have yet, but release a, a almost like a tell-all book. I'm sure you have so many stories. to. You share. know, I'm trying to work on it, Lewis. I'm doing that right Amazing. now. I really am. I'm, I'm actually working on a book. Uh, a lot of these uh, things that I've been talking about, even my, and this kind of uh, medium is, is, is going to be kind of what the book's going to be about, like the road to, the road to, you know, wherever the hell the name of the book will be. Um, but it's going to be all the stories, you know, there's so many things that have happened in my career that, that people might want to find uh, like, you know, the, the, even just like the, you know, the, the strip club thing. It's like, you know, I didn't want to do that gig, but it was like, what do you do? You know, you just make the best of it, try to figure out a way to get through it creatively. And, and then it ended up working better than I probably would have imagined. Well, I can't wait for that. And hopefully. And I took, book and I took one of the, I took one. I took one of the strippers home too. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> Look, man, when that comes out, hopefully I can speak to you again. We can, you know, let people know more about the book. We can yeah. talk about it. It'll be in stories. your book. It'll be in your bookshelf. It'll behind. be on this bookshelf. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Look, man, um, thanks so much. It's been an absolute yeah. honor to speak to you. And uh, I hope we Likewise. get to do it again. Likewise. Thanks for, for a wonderful interview. Really. Thank you so much. It's All right, great. man. You have a great rest of the day and we'll speak soon. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. All love, brother. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Freedom Pack podcast. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you'll join us 
right here again next week, wherever you're listening, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. And please remember that this show is free. This show will always be free. Uh, If you want to help, all you need to do is drop a five-star rating on the audio platform you listen on or hit subscribe to our YouTube channel. Comment, like, share, all that good stuff. That helps us out so much and I really appreciate it. So we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Freedom Pack podcast. Thank you so much for listening.